Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we walk by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Father, I pray that these words would speak to us as your people. I pray it would convict us. I pray that you would change hearts, eternal destinations through these words. Father, I pray that it would flow from my lips, your truth would flow from my lips, and anything that is not of you, Father, would would not be heard, would, would be ignored, and that you would stop it from me ever coming out of my mouth. Let this time be for you and for your truth and for your glory alone. We ask this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, happy Father's Day. There was a, uh, uh, before we start getting into this a little bit more, there was a process that actually uh, we went through and a few years ago, uh, mothers, they get the roses, right, and the flowers, and, and it's just wonderful. And then the dads would get pens, and the pens would end up in the trash. And we're like, well, what if we get like, I don't know, like a Swiss Army knife? And I'm like, that would be awesome, but if we're going to buy like 30 of them, the quality is like, you know, play school quality, right? Like, no, what are we going to do? Let's get Snicker bars. And every dad that I talk to goes, I would rather have a Snicker bar than a pen. Um, Now, parents and kids, if you want to buy your dad a Leatherman, that's a high quality knife and, well, not a knife, utility thing, right? Go do that. But uh, we got Snicker bars for the dads afterwards. Um, We hid them because we don't trust the children, and we don't trust the dads, actually, did not take them beforehand. But there are plenty. I guarantee every dad's going to get at least two. Um, and if there's leftover kids, well, leftovers, comma, kids, then um, you will have to get permission from your parents to even grab one. Um, and even then, you'll have to fight me for them. So uh, just want to let you know, that's after the service. So uh, towards the end, as you're walking out, We'll have the, the bars there, the, the Snicker bars there, and, um, and someone will be there to pass them out, okay? So uh, just be aware of that. But we want to celebrate dads. Um, hopefully today is a, a good Father's Day. Um, and for those who want to be dads and aren't yet, may next year be your first Father's Day, and uh, may you find joy um, in, in family. Ah, we are continuing through Galatians And Paul, again, just as a reminder, is speaking directly to churches, to believers. And so this letter is not written to unbelievers. Um, It it applies to unbelievers, as we'll see here in a second. Uh, But he's specifically talking to those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it should not come as a surprise um, when he speaks very frankly and very forwardly to this church. As he says in there too, I've warned you 
and I'll warn you again. And so he's had this conversation. This is not a one-time conversation um, that he's had with this church. He's reminding them as believers, remember who you were, remember what you were taught, remember the gospel message, because if we remember as we've been reading through it, they've been bombarded by wolves in sheep clothing. That they say, it's not just the gospel, you need to have circumcision, you need to follow the Jewish law, then you will be a true Christian, then God will accept you. You need to become a Jew, you need to become God's people before you can actually be saved and become Christ's people. And Paul's saying, no, that's not what it is. Works don't get you anywhere. It hasn't gotten the Jews anywhere, he says, circumcision is not good for anything. In fact, if it was so good and it made you so holy, circumcision did, then why not just emasculate yourself? And he says that on purpose. It creates this very vivid image. Why not cut the whole thing off if that's so holy making? And he says it doesn't do anything. What makes one holy? It is not our works. It is the Spirit that lives within us. It is God Himself who makes us holy. And every Christian says amen and amen because we struggle with sin constantly. We're never good enough, perfect enough as God demands to be His people. And so as Christians, we fall back and we say, thanks be to God that He did it for me. Now, and and that's like the first four chapters of Galatians, and now he starts getting into sanctification. So that was justification. That was salvation. And now he's getting into sanctification. Now, if you look at my, my sermon title, um, you might go, wow, Mark is Mr. Obvious, right? An apple tree grows apples. That's deep. I thought about doing this whole, like, vivid imagery thing, and you guys know me well enough, I would just fail at it. That's just not, that's just not my way of doing it. But it shouldn't come a surpri- as a surprise to us to know that apple trees grow apples and not oranges. That if I planted a cucumber plant, what would it make? cucumbers, not watermelons, right? So the old adage, you reap what you sow, rings true today as it did in Paul's day. And this is what God through Paul is teaching his people in this passage. What is sown in your hearts and lives today will be reaped by us in time to come. But instead of apples, the sowing is an eternal harvest that is either life or death. Paul has spent the last four and a half chapters dealing with justification, imperfect and sinful humanities being made right before a perfect and sinless God. Salvation before God is found only by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. No works of ours contributes anything to our salvation except for, except for what made it necessary. But that doesn't mean that works don't play a part in our life, that they're unimportant, that we just do whatever we want. Our works as God's people, they don't save us, but they are the evidence of our salvation. We are given two lists of works, the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit of God, which are in direct opposition to one another. And Paul calls the churches in Galatia, to be fruit inspectors of their own hearts and their own lives because what is sown now will be reaped eternally. So this is not a, if you want to bring it into the here and now and say, well, you just want me to be legalistic and be a good person. No, 
what, this is not about the here and now. This is about the eternal destination of souls. This is bigger and deeper than are you a good person today? This is where will you be at the end of time? So this is not a small thing to deal with. This is not something we could just throw aside and say, ah, that's just legalism. It's not legalism, and it's not moralism. It's Christianity. It's true Christianity. What type of fruit are we finding in our lives? Paul gives a clear distinction between the works and the fruit of the flesh and those of the Spirit. I mean, he, I won't read that list again, but <clears throat> he lays out in verses 19 through 21 a pretty hefty list, right? And that list is far from all-encompassing. In other letters, he adds earthly passions, evil desires, covetousness, selfish ambition, theft, giving false witness, slander, adultery, homosexuality, greed, revilers, swindlers, and murderers. And even that is not a complete list, which is why Paul adds, and things like these. <laughs> he, he understands that like, we try to make this list of the, the good things, do these good things, and don't do these bad things. It's never, we can never do enough, like make a, a long enough list. There's always something new to add. And Paul's like, there are tons of sins out there, tons of works of the flesh. But these works of the flesh, he says, are self-evident. They're visible. They're known to all. It is the fruit by which a tree of the flesh is exposed. How do you know an apple tree is an apple? By the apples it produces. If you buy an apple tree and suddenly it makes oranges, that doesn't mean like, oh my gosh, the tree just transformed into an orange tree. No, it was you planted a tree that was an orange tree and you got swindled. Sorry, that's on you. And then there's the greatest word in Scripture, but. Just as the fruit of the flesh are evident, so is the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of hate, the Spirit grows love. Instead of fits of anger, the Spirit grows peace. Instead of divisions, the Spirit grows faithfulness. Now, there's much to be made of the word fruit here. Now, yes, I know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bible geek, okay? So you hear like, oh, wow, he's going to talk about one word, fruit. It isn't plural. Did you notice that? It doesn't say fruits. It says fruit. Well, isn't that kind of, you know, eh, you're kind of making a big deal of nothing. No, there are deep theological realities in the simplest things in Scripture. The works of the flesh, as you notice, are all individual fruit. One can have fits of anger and not necessarily be a drunkard. One could be sexually immoral and not have enmity or hatred. But the list of the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of individual fruits, but of one fruit. They are all evident in the life of every true believer of Christ, in every child of God. One fruit, part of the fruit, might be more evident than the other, but the Spirit will not make us more loving but forget kindness. This is the fruit by which a tree of the Spirit is exposed. How will you know that you are a child of God? By the fruit that comes from your life and what is growing in you. So as we inspect the fruit of our own hearts and our own lives, 
Am I more loving today than I was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or before I was saved by God's grace? Is the, f- the fruit of the Spirit, is it growing in me or do I not see any evidence of His fruit? Perhaps I'm more patient than I am gentle or I'm more joyful than I am kind, but do I see the fruit, all of it growing, even if painfully slowly in my life? Or do I instead see the fruit of the flesh growing? You see, the type of fruit that is evidenced in our life points to the type of tree that we are, a tree of the flesh or a tree of the Spirit. Our fruit is evidence not just of our spiritual state right now, but our eternal state. So I say that again. Our fruit is not evidence just of our spiritual state at this moment. It is evidence of our eternal state, one to eternal life and the other to eternal death. And then, of course, you say, well, isn't that legalism? It's not. It's not legalism. If I am relying upon my works to save me, that is not legalism. But if I am striving to follow the fruit of the Spirit and have it grow and nurture that fruit in my life, that is evidence that I am a child of God. You see, after speaking of the works of the flesh, Paul explains, I warn you now as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, I, I mean, I don't know how else you could say that. He's like, if, if this is what you do, you are not a part of the kingdom of God. That's not a popular statement, right? Like, well, that is really hurtful, Mark. How could you say that? I'm not saying it. God is saying it through his word. He's saying, if you do this, you will not be in heaven. Now, we have to answer two questions. The first is, what does it mean to do such things, right? Does it mean, well, what if I do it once or twice or what if I do it every day? What about once a month? A literal translation, the, the literal translation for the word do, it's, a, again, simple things, right? The word do here means to make a practice of. So to practice something is to do it over and over and over again until we become competent in that activity, right? Everybody loves watching the NFL. Well, maybe not so much anymore, but you like watching professional games or the Olympics, right? The Olympic trials were on this last week. It's just, wow, they are fast. Well, they didn't just jump in the pool two hours beforehand. They practiced and they practiced and they practiced until they became professional and competent at their skill. So to do such sins is to practice them, to do them over and over again without repentance, without sorrow, without hesitation. On the other hand, to have a fit of anger is sinful to be sure, but to recognize it as sin, to confess it as sin, to strive to fight that sin every day of your life, winning some days and losing other days, is not to practice sin. So Paul is not speaking to anyone who's striving to fight sinful desires of the flesh. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. There's a battle raging within me as a Christian. 
the Spirit of God and my flesh, my human flesh, that part of me that resists and wants nothing to do with God is still there even though I'm a child of God. And there is this massive battle and every Christian gets it. Some days you win, some days you lose. But just because I'm fighting that and I strive and I fail at times does not mean that I am practicing that sin. But those who willingly and joyfully do sin are practicing those desires. Secondly, the other question we have to ask is, he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, in chapter 4, verse 29, Paul writes, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what is an heir? An heir is a child of somebody who has, to use his language, a kingdom. Okay, my kingdom, if you want to call it, is the things that I own, my house, my retirement, my money. And so God has this kingdom, and those who believe are heirs of that kingdom. This specific reference, though, heirs according to the promise, points to God's promise made to Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him through a descendant of Abraham who would save the people of God from their sins, restoring the broken relationship that between them and God. And so when we are saved from God's wrath for our sins, by God's grace freely given to us, we have a personal relationship with God and we are made full inheritors of eternal life. That's the promise. We will be God's people forever and ever. <clears throat> we are children of the King. We are fully adopted heirs of His kingdom. But those who practice works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of eternal life in the presence of God in heaven, but instead will inherit eternal death away from His presence in hell. Unrepentant practice of fleshly desires results in an eternal sowing of eternal death. But, again, there's that beautiful word, right? But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Paul says. Those who belong to Christ, those who are disciples of Christ, those who are children of God, practice the fruit of the Spirit, our flesh is crucified on the cross with Christ, meaning that it, is no longer, it no longer has any power or authority over us unless we give it that power and that authority. Our fleshly passions and desires do not control or define the children of God. Our sin is not our identity. Yes, I am a sinner, but I am a redeemed sinner. I am perfect not because I'm perfect. I'm perfect because he is perfect and He saved me. He became perfection for me so that I might be justified in His sight. It's important for us, though, as we can become, as a church, we can become arrogant. We can say, well, I've made it. You see, you see that person over there? At least I'm not like them. You know, I, I don't sin like that anymore. But I think that's the key. We have to remember, we all at one time used to practice the works of the flesh until Christ delivered us by His grace. I became a believer at five or six years old. 
And that means for five or six years of my life, I practiced the desires of the flesh and the works of the flesh. Now, it's very different from a 30-year-old, right? But I was still sinful. But when Christ saved me, the desires of the flesh no longer had power over me, even at six years old. We all at one time used to practice the works of the flesh. As God's children, our flesh is powerless in the face of the work and the fruit of the Spirit in us. And it's important for us to see, too, that Paul doesn't say that those who practice such things is the fruit of the Spirit. Do we have to practice them in some sense? Yes, absolutely. We need to practice the fruit. We need to, we need to, to take care of the tree, the fruit. We want to see it grow and grow and grow. But Paul doesn't say those who practice such things as the fruit of the Spirit then are people of God, as if our effort make us more godly, right? We cannot practice the fruit of the Spirit unless the Spirit gives us the power to do so. So it's not I, it's not me, it's the Spirit abiding in me who transforms me and teaches me and grows me and guides me to live out His fruit. And that's an important distinction to make. We practice the fruit of the Spirit not by our own efforts. Gosh darn it, I'm going to pick myself up by my, my belt buckle and I'm going to do better today. How's that working out for you? It, it, it fails every single time as a believer. The only way we can fight the flesh of our, of our hearts and our lives, the desires of the flesh, is through the power of God Himself. That's what's important for us as Christians to remember this. As soon as we begin to think we've made it, as soon as we begin to think how holy we are, the reality is, is we're not nearly as holy as we think we are. And that's where God changes us and He gives us the power and it's a constant fight. And some sins, I said this last week, some sins that we're going to fight with, we're going to fight with it every single day until the day we die. But gosh darn it, as a child of God, I'm going to fight that sin. Because that's what God wants me to do. Not by my power, but by His power within me. He, He gives me the ability to fight the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, he says at the very end, let us walk by the Spirit. If we have eternal life, that's what he means by if we live by the Spirit, if we have eternal life, if we are a child of God only by the Spirit, he doesn't say you will walk by the Spirit. He says let us walk by the Spirit. That's a totally different type of thing. It's not like here's your list, now do it. It's, man, let's... Let's strive every day of our life to live by the Spirit together as God's people. If we have eternal life by the work of the Spirit in us, the Spirit will sanctify us. The Spirit will make, make uh, uh, His fruit more and more evident in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, in the decisions that we make, the way that we think. He will convict us of those things. And He will give us the power to overcome that flesh. And the fruit of the Spirit will become more and more evidence in our life. 
If we are inheritors of the kingdom of God, our lives will reflect this truth. Not that we will live perfectly sinless lives, but that the fruit of the Spirit will become more and more evident over time. There will be a greater polarization between our flesh and the Spirit in us. And that difference will be seen by those around us. You know, I used to think the older people got, the more crotchety they became. They just became this crotchety old man. I'm not going to be like that guy. You know why I think older people are more stubborn? Because they realize how stupid they were when they were young and how silly things are when we hold things so high and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, and the older, especially as a Christian, the older we get, the more we go, you know what, this really doesn't matter. This stuff right here that I held so dear, the closer I get to the end of my life, the more important the important things become. I teased my mom when she turned uh, 60. And she's like, I can't believe I'm 60. And I said, yeah, mom, the average age is 75. You got 15 years left on earth. She wasn't very happy about that. But she says in our conversations after that, of course, she gave me a hard time and I didn't really feel bad about it. Um, but in our conversation, she said, it, it does make you realize if I have 15 years left of my life, am I going to spend it worrying about whether Aaron Rodgers is going to play as a Packer next year? No. And that's, that's not from a hardcore Packer fan. It's just not that important, people, right? And you're all going, yeah, well, okay, let's talk Vikings, all right? It's just not that important. If you knew you had one day left, I know it's like that cliche thing, if you knew you had one day left of your life, what would you do it, do spend, how would you spend your time for that 24 hours? That's an important thing. We have such a short period of time on this earth, what, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, if we're lucky? As God's people, what are we going to spend our time doing? The older we get, the more we realize what we thought was important, it really isn't that important. I really want people to like me. I mean, that's, it's good to have people like you, but we can't make this... Yeah, so people are shaking their heads. Eh, it's not that important. We want to be liked, but if so-and-so doesn't... If I'm not part of the cool group, is it going to suddenly change my life? I'm sorry, those nerds that you hate are going to be your bosses someday. Making lots more money than you, if that's really that important to you. It's just not important. As a Christian, when, when we become a believer, what happens is that our priorities shift and our priorities change. And what we think is so important, God goes, it's really not that important, Mark. Do you know what's important? What's important is my kingdom, my desires. Do you really need to watch that show? How is that adding to your spiritual growth? You really need to do this or do that? Okay, you're really worried about this thing over here that you have absolutely no control of over? That's not important to me, Mark. I want you to, to look to me. I don't want my fruit to grow in you. I want you to become more and more like me. That's what's important. And when we, when we make that shift, 
from selfish ambition, fleshly desires controlling us, to the Spirit guiding us, and what He wants is more important than what I think is important. When we make that shift, guess what's going to happen? Oh, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. So as an apple tree grows, so our eternal state is revealed through our fruit. Do we practice the works of the flesh? One could try and try to love more and be more patient, but without the Spirit of God, that effort will only produce fleshly love and fleshly patience, not godly. What is needed is a heart change. What is needed is Jesus Christ, the gospel. Paul is saying to these church in Galatia, in Galatia, you are children of God. You have the gospel. You believed the gospel. Don't fall prey to anything else. Don't lose sight of who you are in Christ and where your identity truly lies. Remember who you are and what's really important. What God wants, what God desires. Because in the end, what's left but your faith? You're going to die and you can't take anything. You can't get up to heaven and say, well, God, I was part of the cool crew when I was in junior high. Okay, that's not saying much, first of all, by the way. But it ain't going to get you into heaven. God's going to say, but where's my fruit? I don't know you because you never knew me. Will you believe in Jesus Christ alone to save you from the wrath of God for your sins? Will you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, Savior, and treasure of your life? Will you be willing to give up all things for obedience to Him? Because this is what it means to have the desires and the passions of our flesh crucified, killed, hung with Christ upon the cross. And I think if, if you're a believer, we need to remember this. We need to remember this truth. It means giving up all that we once held dear, all that we once held as our identity, all we once held as satisfying and basking and resting in the salvation of Christ and watching Him change us from the inside out. When Jesus was talking to um, the Pharisees, he called them whitewashed tombs. I love that phrase. Um, you can go back and you can, you can look at it. It's in, the, it's in the Gospels. The story's in the Gospels. Basically, what he was saying is you look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you have dead bones. You're not godly. As Christians, as a church, we can look beautiful on the outside. We can change how we look, how we act, but if our heart is not changed, we're whitewashed tombs. We look the part, and on the inside, we have dead man's bones on the inside. And what Christ is trying to say is, let me get rid of the dead man's bones and watch it change from the inside out. We can't do that. We cannot do that. 
He does it. He gives us the desire to give up what we hold dear. He gives us the the ability to have our identity in Him and not in the things of this world or our fleshly desires. He gives us the ability to have satisfaction in Him and not the things of this world. He opens her eyes and allows us to bask and rest in His presence as His people. And in Him we find and we experience and we're given true joy, peace, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And we no longer belong to our flesh. We belong to Christ. All of this points us to God and to His glory. It, it puts things the way they should be. It demotes us in our own minds, and it promotes Christ. This is the proper understanding. If we want to live as God wants to, if we will see the fruit grow, it means making much of Him and less of us. It means seeing us that we're not better than anybody else. I'm not less sinful than the person who hates God down the street. It gives me a perspective that were it not for the grace of God, so be I. It points us to Him and to His glory. See, His love for us was so deep that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion against Him, and still His enemies, we hated God, and Jesus went to the cross and He died for us. The closing song that we're going to sing, and worship team, why don't you guys, why don't you guys come up? The song that we're going to sing here in a second is uh, one of my favorite songs, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And the verses are so, if we really, with a lot of the music we sing, if we really listen and we read these words, and not just sing them, but we realize what they're saying, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. His love is so deep, so wide, so great that we cannot even measure it if we wanted to. And how did He prove it? That He would give His only Son to make a wretch, that would be you and me, His treasure. If we belong to Christ, The Spirit's fruit is alive and growing in us, even if slowly. And if you find that that you're practicing sinful rebellion against God, confess your sins to Him, see the great love that He has for you in sending His Son to die in your place to restore you to God as His child and experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And if you are a child of God and you're wrestling with sin, the fact that you're wrestling is a joy and it's evidenced evidence that you just, man, you want to live for Him and you're struggling with it and you want to fight it. Don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting. The more we fight, the stronger we get. And the more that we fight in the power of Christ, the more the flesh will be defeated in us. And so may we look to Him 
and see the fruit in our life. Father, I ask this to be true for us, that we would not walk away from here ignorant of, of our sin, and yet ignorant of the work that you've done and the love that you have for us as your people. I pray if there's anyone here or anybody who's listening, Father, who does not have a relationship with you, does not know what it means to, to be loved by you and have our, their identity found in you, to be saved by you, Father, I pray you would change them, change their hearts. You would open their eyes that the reality of their eternal destination is hell. We cannot change hearts. We can't even change our own heart, God, let alone somebody else's. But you can, and you do, and you did. You did it with me. You did it with every one of us who are your child here today, Father. May you be given the glory, and may we see the fruit of your Spirit in us, Father, and may it do nothing but bring us to give praise to you and to love you as we should. In your name, amen. Why don't you stand? We'll sing how deep the Father's love for us.